Welcome to our second episode of our mini-series on suffering. On the last episode, we discussed how hope is our crucial first step to getting through suffering in a healthy way. We discussed how hope in anything else than Jesus is not enough. But we also ended with the fact that hope, this hope, overflows and produces joy. So in this episode, that's what we're going to cover. Joy amidst suffering. Now, joy amidst suffering is a difficult topic for me to cover, not because there's too little on it in the Bible, but because there's so much. There are verses that explain that we should rejoice in the hope that we have in Jesus, that it's proved through suffering. See 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 3 through 9, 1 Peter chapter 4, 12 through 14, and James chapter 12, verses like Colossians 124 show us that suffering for the sake of the church is worthy of rejoicing. Examples such as that of Peter and the apostles in Acts 5 show us that suffering for the name of Christ is worth rejoicing. James 5 1, 1 Peter 5 10, and Mark 10 30 reveals conditional promises that steadfastness through trials leads to restoration and hundredfold gains. James gives Job as an example of this promise. And finally, there are many verses that give the command to rejoice always, as in Philippians 4.4. These verses just scratch the surface of the plethora of passages speaking to this idea. God by no means wants us to go through suffering like mindless drones waiting for death. He wants us to be a joyful people. In an effort to keep things concise, I decided to focus on two passages. John 15, 1-11, and John 16, 16-24. In both passages, Jesus explains how we have joy made full. First, John 15, 1-11. I am the true vine, my Father is the vineyard keeper. Every branch that does not produce fruit, he removes. And he prunes every branch that does produce fruit, so that it produces more fruit. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, so neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit, because you could do nothing without me. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside like a branch, and he withers. They gather them, throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit, and prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, I also loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have spoken these things to you so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. This passage seems clear that abiding in Christ produces full joy. The first step of abiding in Christ is simply trusting Christ for salvation. Next, the passage speaks about fruit being produced. 
Fruit in a Christian life is becoming more like Christ, being changed inwardly, otherwise known as sanctification. There's more fruit in a Christian life besides this, but I think this is the main thrust of that part of the text. This sort of change in our life should be joy-filled. Part of coming to Christ is knowing your own depravity and wanting to change so that your desire to change is met with abiding. The next step is found in verse 7, which is to abide in the Word. We as Christians should meditate on the Word, memorize it, and rejoice in it. As far as my own experiences go, this has been proven true. I rejoice and am strengthened more by reading the Word than nearly anything else. Lastly, abiding in Christ is obeying His commands. This is how we abide in his love, which without a doubt is a reason for joy. The next passage ends similarly with a statement about full joy in John 16, 6 through 24. A little while and you will no longer see me. Again, a little while and you will see me. Therefore, some of the disciples said to one another, What is this he tells us? A little while you will not see me? And again, a little while you will see me, and because I am going to the Father, they said. What is this he's saying, a little while? We don't know what he's talking about. Jesus knew they wanted to question him, so he said to them, Are you asking one another about what I have said? A little while and you will not see me, again a little while you will see me? I assure you, you will weep and wail, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. When a woman is in labor, she has pain because of her time has come. But when she is given birth to a child, she no longer remembers the suffering because of the joy that a person has been born into the world. So you also have sorrow now. But I will see you again. Your hearts will rejoice, and no one will rob you of that joy. In that day, you will not ask me anything. I assure you, anything you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now, you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, so that your joy may be complete. In this passage, we see the disciples are confused about what Jesus is saying. And Jesus knows that they will be sorrowful at his departure on the cross. But he alludes to his resurrection and that they will experience joy when they see him again. Then Jesus transitioned into talking about asking for things from the Father. And when they ask, they shall receive, and their joy is made full. I think it is important to realize that the disciples' desire was for Jesus. So when they ask the Father, it will be for the will of Jesus rather for their own will. Our desires are being changed to the desires of Christ. So when His will comes to fruition, we rejoice. So how do both of these passages apply to suffering? I think both passages are essential. They both speak to having full joy, and anything less than full joy won't last in the midst of suffering. So abide in Christ, read the word, meditate on it day and night, and learn to love it if you don't already. 
This in and of itself will produce joy, but it will also make you prepared for the suffering ahead. Then remember the resurrection and that we have a relationship with the living Lord God and rejoice in that. And since your desires are for Christ, you can rejoice knowing that your suffering is for God's glory. And when you ask for things, they will be granted for you and your joy will be made full. How does suffering glorify God? And how do we glorify God most in our suffering? This is what we'll cover in the last episode of this mini-series. And as always, here's a challenge. Believers and those who do not believe can both do this. Read a chapter of the Word every day for a week. This will be your act of abiding for the week. As believers, it is a good goal to do this every week, but let's make a real push to make sure we do that this week. For those who don't believe, do this and see if it grants you understanding. And I suggest starting with Ephesians, and if you still have time, read Galatians as well. Thanks for listening, and as always, feel free to contact me at d.g.kingly at outlook.com if you have any questions or comments.